bolder, ambitious projection. With all the background and analysis of the events of the day, issues important to Hong Kong, important to you. The investigation will be conducted fairly. Of course, we want to have it as soon as possible. Radio 3 delivers up-to-the-minute informative programming throughout the day. You know, you have a complex situation down there with a lot of different views. Even as the workday comes to a close, stories are breaking and developing on Newswrap. Much more military presence on the streets. Five years into the crisis, I'm still worried. AM, FM, online and digital. RTHK for news. RTHK for arts and culture. Go to the Radio 3 homepage where you can look and listen through an archive of excellent interviews with local and international authors. Look for our special bookmarks page. Exclusive recommendations by Hong Kong luminaries, readings, book news and much more. Log on to rthk.hk. Click on Radio 3 and explore. On air, online and digital. RTHK for arts and culture. AM, FM and live online. This is Radio 3. Time is now 16 and a half minutes past 8 o'clock and a very good morning to you. You've just joined us here at Radio 3. And of course, as be usual, time for this week's Letter to Hong Kong, which comes from James Tian, legislator from the Liberal Party. The first phase of the public debate on the election of the chief executive in 2017 was concluded with the close of the government's consultation yesterday. At this point, the team headed by the Chief Secretary will proceed to produce a report that will be submitted to the central government for deliberation. The Liberal Party submitted a proposal on the 30th of April. We strongly believe that for Hong Kong to improve its governance, the Chief Executive returned in 2017 must have the mandate of the people. Therefore, universal suffrage that ensures participation of every eligible voter to elect the chief executive of his choice is the most desirable outcome. However, Hong Kong is a special administrative region of the People's Republic of China. Unlike an independent state, Hong Kong's elections are bound by the parameters set down in the basic law, in which the power and responsibility of the nominating committee are clearly set out under Article 45. To create other proposals that circumvent the nominating committee's role and are arguably incompatible with the basic law would not be acceptable by the central government. Article 45 of the basic law provides that selection of the chief executive by universal suffrage shall be upon nomination by a broadly representative nominating committee in accordance with democratic procedures. It is clear that the nominating committee must first nominate the candidates before the election by universal suffrage can take place. Whilst the nominating committee's right to nominate cannot be challenged, there is nothing in the basic law that prohibits improvements to the nominating committee's structure provided it remains broadly representative. The democratic procedures that the nominating committee will follow during the nomination process has yet to be decided upon. It is crucial that our community offers views 
in regards to these areas. Therefore, the Liberal Party's proposal consists of the following key points. First, in order to increase the representativeness of the fourth sector of the nominating committee, there should be an increase of 100 members to be made up of district councillors, thereby opening up half of the seats in this sector to district elected representatives. However, since the scale of district councils and the size of their constituencies are considerably smaller than legislative councillors, they should not enjoy the same right of automatic admission as the 70 legislators do. Second, all the other three sectors should likewise be increased by 100 members, so that the balance of representation by Hong Kong's different stakeholders should be retained. We believe such balance is necessary to ensure that the minority groups will have an equitable part to play in nominating a chief executive who will not rely too much on populism. With this suggested structure, there will be 400 members in each sector, making up a total of 1,600 members for the nominating committee. Third, in order that a reasonable chance is offered to a manageable number of candidates for consideration by the nominating committee, we propose that each entrant must secure the signatures of one-eighth, that is, 200 of the members of the nominating committee. However, in order to prevent one entrant from locking up an overwhelming number of nominations to block off other competitors, we suggest that the ceiling should be set at 300. Therefore, offering the possibility of a maximum of eight entrants or a minimum of five. Fourth, we believe the nominating committee should vote in a maximum of three candidates for the 3.4 million voting public to elect the chief executive by universal suffrage. Setting the number of candidates at three ensures that there will be genuine competition in the election. Furthermore, in order to get enough votes to qualify as one of the three candidates, those persons must actively seek and receive as much support as possible from all sectors of the nominating committee. In the election by universal suffrage, the winning candidate must get over half of the votes cast by the public in order to strengthen the mandate of his governance. Fifth, we urge that the government seriously consider the merit of compulsory voting like Singapore and Australia and introduce it so that all voters will not only be granted the right but also be made to fulfil their duty to participate in choosing the chief executive. The Liberal Party believes that compulsory voting has many advantages. First of all, compulsory voting will result in increased voter turnout. In Australia, the turnouts consistently stayed at about 95% after the system was introduced. A high turnout rate confers a high degree of political legitimacy on the winning candidate and gives him or her a proper democratic mandate. This is because the chief executive so elected, 
more accurately reflects the will of the whole population, and not merely those people who choose to vote. In this sense, voting can be viewed as a civic duty of every eligible citizen, similar to jury duty and paying tax. Moreover, compulsory voting serves the purpose of educating the public on the benefits of political participation. When people know that they have to vote, and there's a certain pressure on them to make informed choices of how to vote, they have a greater incentive to know more about the policies of the person they are voting for, and become more engaged and interested in the election process. Increased participation in voting may also stimulate more interest in other political activities, and more caring by the community as a whole. Finally, I would like to stress that we, the Liberal Party, place the utmost importance on the need for universal suffrage to bring about effective governance in 2017. What we have proposed is a platform for further discussion and negotiation by the government with the Pan Democrats, because we need five more votes from them to achieve two-thirds majority to pass the bill. We hope, in the spirit of give and take, the Pan Democrats will be able to help avoid the sad scenario of another chief executive being returned by only 1,200 election committee members in 2017. You've been listening to this week's letter to Hong Kong, and it came from James Tian, legislator from the Liberal Party. And of course, letter to Hong Kong will be back next Sunday at the same time after the. Eight o'clock news. Good morning. I'm Agnes Lau. In Hong Kong, we have the chance to experience four seasons. Spring, summer, autumn, and winter. We are lucky. We don't have very hot summers or very cold winters. Though we have storms, we don't have earthquakes. As winter is not so cold in Hong Kong, we don't have the chance to see the beauty of snow crystals. For those who have seen a snow crystal, they will marvel at its beauty. It has hexagonal crystal flakes. However, if you ever have the chance to see diamond dust. You will think that it is even more miraculous than a snow crystal. Crystals of diamond dust are five times smaller than crystals of snow. In weather of minus thirty degrees Celsius, if we pour water into the air, it will become diamond dust. Even though diamond dust is so tiny, it has the shape of a crystal and is hexagonal in shape too. If we pour hot water into the cold air, more diamond dust will be created. These diamonds of nature, though not long-lasting, can be created with minimal cost and effort. One cannot help praising the Creator for these marvels. Nature is full of beauty and wonders. When we come to learn more about nature, we realize how small we are and how trivial our daily troubles are. Have you thought of a flounder fish that is put out of water and then frozen at minus two degrees Celsius? And then afterwards, you put it into water of sixteen degrees Celsius. 
it can swim again.